Hi everyone, welcome to Social Source. It's Fabi here with my partner in crime, Leon Andrews. Leon, say hello. Hello everybody, how are you doing? Yeah, really good. How has your week been? What have you been up to this week? Um, yeah, well, work, 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 really, to be honest with you. Finding time to fit the show in has been, uh, been, been testing this week. Hence, we're a little bit later out than we'd, uh, we'd normally like to be. But uh, the nights are drawing in. The central heating is firmly cranked oh, on in uh, in the Andrews household. So I know it's dark days for, for, for dads and husbands everywhere as they begrudgingly turn up the thermostat. <laughs> I'm glad that you are one of the ones that actually allows for the heating to be turned on in early October. <laughs> Not quite the case here on the Wilcox's household. Everyone's wearing jumpers. You can see I'm wearing kind of a, a, a big, big jumper here. Just put on another hoodie, Fabi. Come on. Yeah, yeah stop exactly. moaning. This is how we've been brought up and and this is how we're bringing up our daughter <laughs> who's freezing to death in the sofa right now. Uh, but no, it's been, it's been a really good week. May I just add to that? It's not it's not with pleasure. Uh, it's with deep <laughs> sadness in my heart that I dial up the central heating in October. But um, it is yeah. done. Um, but, but you know, with disdain. By the way, with these prices uh, that are out there at the moment. It, it... <laughs> Don't bring that up. <laughs> I don't want to talk about electricity price hikes, but maybe in the next podcast. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Just to sort of pour fuel, uh, excuse, no pun intended, on on the fire that I'm already feeling, the rage I'm feeling, <laughs> having to crank up the heating. You're just telling me how much it's costing me. So sorry, yeah, cheers. Sorry, I didn't mean to bring a. a, 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 a let's, let's move on. Let's, let's move, move on. on. So uh, today we're going to be talking um, about a subject that's really close to our hearts. We're going to be talking about trust. You know, what is trust? How do we define it? Um, mm. What's the most? Why is it so important? Why does it matter so much? for us to not just live, but in work in environments where you have that trust around you. How does it make us feel and why do we care so much about it, right? Trust is important. Yeah, bit really big deal, isn't it? And and this kind of came off the back of conversations around um, uh, some some data we saw from the Edelman um, Trust Index report that comes out earlier in the year. But, um, you know, the recent Facebook whistleblower leaks was something that really got us talking um, between one another about just the erosion of trust, really, in that brand that's happened. I mean, it's been catastrophic, you know, ever since Cambridge Analytica stuff, really. Um, and 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 it's been a downward trend um, since then. Really, um, some fascinating data on on the topic of trust, and um, you know, touches all of our lives in lots of different ways. Trust with brands, trust in teams. You know, why is it so important in in building great teams, and and ultimately, you know, working with brands, and why would we trust a brand? What you know, what even is a brand, Fabi? It's a bit of a it's it's a bit of a faceless thing, isn't it? So it's weird that we trust a brand, right? But you made a career out of, out of doing just that. I guess uh, yes, uh, you know, trust and branding. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, it, it's really how a brand is defined, isn't it? Um, and and thank God people out there don't understand it because then I can make a career out of trying to explain what the hell that means. <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, fascinating topic. Really looking forward to us uh, getting into it. Shall we do it? Yeah, let's get stuck in. Riley, and so let's get straight into it then. What is trust? How how do you define trust? What is trust for you? Well, I was doing some research for the show, as you know, Fabi, and I went, I've gone a bit old school here. This isn't like me, right? So I started doing, of course, what everybody does, which is some, you know, uh, Googling around around the topic and just seeing what kind of academic articles there were out there, etc. And I, I glanced to my right on the bookshelf and there was a proper 
Oxford dictionary there. You know, the kind of thing now you use as a doorstop. Um, it, it weighs a couple of kilos, a couple of thousand pages. And I thought, you know what? I'm going old school here, right? So I got the. I sent you a picture on WhatsApp, didn't I? I've got I got a picture of me thumbing through. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. It was a very guilty pleasure. So the Oxford Dictionary defines it as um, trust as a firm belief in the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone or something. How does that how does that resonate with you? Yeah, it does. It does, isn't it? It's you know, the strength of someone's character, that's a, a really, really important one because trust is about connecting with someone um and, and knowing that you can one hundred percent trust that individual to A not judge you, because I think that's number one thing, isn't it? You don't want to be judged when you are open up to somebody about mm-hmm. something that is really, really important to you. You also want to make sure that, you know, the information that you are giving to this individual is not going to be going anywhere. So I want someone who's going to be keeping my secret safe. And it, it, it's someone that has, only someone that has integrity, isn't it? They'll be able to do that, you know, not not kind of giving out what's not yours. So that um, that that definition is um, is quite spot on, obviously. And I think we find it quite easy, don't we, when we think about trust to to apply it in, in a personal context. You know, we think of people that we trust, you know, trust with a secret. You know, that's an example that you referenced there. I think we can all probably picture somebody that, that we do trust and we would talk to. I hope everybody's got somebody like that in their in, in their life. Um, an important question as well. It gets asked a lot in these kind of big organizational surveys. You know, is there somebody that you trust in work? I think that's really important for psychological safety. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about why why trust is important in building high-performing teams in the workplace a little bit later. But I, I want to start maybe here a little bit on your home home turf here, Fabi. You know, I can totally get on board with, you know, trusting my wife when we when we talk about something that it won't go any further. But how can I trust a brand, right? But, you know, a brand is a weird thing or an organization is a weird thing. By definition, it's abstract. It might be made of thousands of people. It might have shops. It might be completely virtual. It might live in the cloud, you know, but I but I do trust some brands, right? I, there are brands out there I definitely do trust. And when I think about the kind of trust I have in an interpersonal relationship and the trust I have with a brand, they're very different, but they're both actually quite real. I do trust Apple to keep my data safe, whereas that's actually quite a strange thing to do when I stand back from it and, and, and examine it, it. In a way, though, but I think if you think about how brand is built, um, it it is independent of, you know, whatever you put in that trust in an individual or on an organization. So let's, you know, if you think about trust, to to be able to trust somebody, you know, you kind of have three components, I'd say. You have this element around them having the ability to do what they say they're going to be doing. There is Mm -hmm. an element of them caring about me and how they will impact my life and as we just said there is an element of integrity you know they they kind of have values and they follow their values and that's how brands build trust this is which is exactly the same way on how people build trust in one another so you know when it comes to you're trusting a person and you're trusting let's say a process a company a brand a product it's kind of trust is trust, you know, and for me, those are kind of the three things 
that help to build trust, whether it be in personal, peer-to-peer or on brands, you know, is that the does the company organization brand has the product capability? Are they going to, you know, deliver against their promises mm. there? Um, are they empathetic to me as an individual? Do they care about me? Are they going to be sound when it comes to how we have that relationship? And ultimately, do they follow through um, and deliver against the values? Uh, do they have the integrity to do that? And this is how ultimately I think trust is built when it comes to uh, branded consumer relationships out there. And you're right. I think, you know, you just laid out a really good playbook for for probably how to build, you know, just good, uh, authentic relationships, whether, as you say, peer-to-peer or, 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 or business-to-consumer or, or, or business-to-business. You know, those characteristics are, are kind of truisms of building good, solid, trusting relationships, aren't they? Um, I think one of the um, um, consistency is a big factor in there as well. I think doing all those things that you've described, but then doing them consistently, um, there's nothing like inconsistency to breach trust. You know, being brilliant on one day and then letting somebody down the next day in many ways is is arguably worse than average, uh, kind of averaging mediocre. Right? Um, the, the peaks and the troughs make make um, make trust difficult. Um, one of the things that I think you might have not overlooked there, but something that's really important and came through very much in our conversations about Facebook is that transparency element. Yeah um you know you know for brands and i think some of the biggest uh if you like cat- catastrophes for brands when it comes to capitulation of when it when building trust it has always come down to transparency hasn't it, it it's people finding out about things that brands didn't want them to find out about yeah. and i think this this whole we're going to talk about facebook and i mean obviously you have to talk about facebook we're talking about trust here um so we're going to talk about them in a second but i think what what Perhaps if you compare the likes of Facebook and other uh, social platforms out there, or even Google, you know, um, what perhaps Google has done really well and Facebook has failed massively and terribly to do is precisely to own up to, look, we're not perfect. We haven't got this right. Um, we're going to work to get it better. Da, da, da. They did it, but when they were pressed against the wall, and even so they haven't followed through with that. In other hand, some people like Google's of your life, they kind of said, um, you know, these are the kind of things that we need to address. And they have just always been a lot more transparent in the way that they come about this element of trust. And you're right. I think I I was talking about consistency when we talked about in preparation for the show and you rightly called out. It is also about transparency. And most definitely today, I think transparency um, has a huge weight when it comes to helping us trust the brands out there. I, I think even with big organizations, people absolutely accept that the world, uh, a, a globalized world is a hugely complex place and uh, there will be um, moments, you know, if you are working in some of these incredibly complex global markets and, and, and are trying to be a global presence, things are going to go wrong. And, and and there's a level of authenticity about putting your hand up, isn't there? And saying, yeah, do you know what? This me- um, we messed up here, or some we missed something, um, and we're gonna we're telling you about it, yeah, rather than you finding out about it and holding us to account. You know, that's a good life lesson, by the way. You know, if you know some things go wrong, put your hand up before somebody else, uh, you know, points it out. I mean, it's a no brainer, isn't it? But actually, 
what we're seeing repeatedly is some of the things that we think are elementary as human beings that we would do. You know, if you made a mistake at work, you know, and you missed a payroll run or something and people weren't going to get paid the next day, the, the wrong thing to do is to wait until everybody hasn't been paid and complains. It's to get out in front of that at the end of the day and go and yeah. talk to people about it, right? It seems obvious when we talk about it in human scenarios, but consistently we see brands not mm. doing this, right? Uh, particularly, you know, recently, it, it's almost like every day on the news, isn't it, Liam, that there is a new kind of, you know, a trust scenario happening. And it, it really surprises me because when it comes to brand trust, you know, um, this is almost like the universal metric that every single organization out there is chasing, but it has been chasing since I've been in business for 15, 20 years. Is this is nothing new. Maybe the pandemic has accelerated, you know, the 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 importance of trust for consumers. But in brands and large organizations, you know, we've known this for a very long time. You know, it's all about trust. That is what drives brand love and ultimately what drives the success of an industry is the kind of golden dust of trust. You know, trust is brand currency, if you will. Um, so it's really surprising that we've seen so many slip-ups, let's say, from so many different uh, organizations out there. And it, it makes me wonder if those slip-ups have always been there and we're just finding about them now because um, of the transparency element. We have more access to technology. Perhaps we kind of know a little bit more of how things work and that's how we're finding those things now. Uh, but it's, it's very surprising that we're seeing it so, so often these days. Well, I, I think it's it's an interesting point that you make about um, you know breaches of trust. I, I think you know the Paradise Papers that we've obviously just had leaked recently about all these global property deals from the world's leaders. Um, uh, you know, hugely uh, you know massive breach of trust ultimately. You know, um, but not the first time we've seen it. We've had the Panama Papers as well, and this is like the fourth or fifth leak from that kind of um, that, that that setup over um, uh, over there, but you know, would we have had access to this had we not lived in the information age where, you know, a hacker or a leaker or a whistleblower can go and dump that information online and within three hours, they can't put the genie back in the bottle. It's global. It's out there. Um, you'll, we'll never know, right? This information, um, you know, is so accessible now to groups of journalists. I think I'm going to I'm going to get the numbers wrong here, but there's a task force, isn't there, of 100 journalists from all these great institutions around the world working on this kind of dump, this 10, 11 terabyte dump that is the Paradise Papers. So you've got sort of the BBC have put five of their people in, the New York Times put a few in. You know, you've got this kind of uh, cooperative of, of great investigative journalists kind of co combing through this treasure trove. and uh, And it's just like you know, sensational news story after sensational news story is the king of somewhere or the president or of somewhere else or the daughter of this this ruler somewhere else is doing something really dodgy. You know, it's almost lost its shock value. The question I think that maybe you're alluding to there is, has this always just been the way it has been? Uh, and, and, and people in these positions have abused power as long as power has existed, except now we're in a position where that information about that abuse is just more accessible to us so therefore we're more shocked um or actually has has this abuse of power and abuse of trust increased exponentially um you know as time has gone on i, I, I 
nobody knows i guess the answer to the to that question but it's certainly instances like that that just have this erosion effect don't they on 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 trust in 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 our institutions and and in big corporates um it's very damaging very damaging Lian. and as as you're saying you know um edelman the kind of well-known pr agency they did this report and especially mm. on trust following the events of 2020 and it, i mean the numbers are incredible aren't they let's just put them out there so the, the they kind of you know talk about 53 percent of respondents saying that trust is the second most important factor when purchasing a new brand, you know, only losing to price point, obviously. So that's that's a big number, isn't it? And 70% of people saying that trusting a brand today is much more important than it ever did. And 81% saying that, you know, vulnerability around health, financial stability, and especially privacy is the reason why brand trust has become so important. I mean, some pretty serious and big numbers there, isn't it? So it's not, it's most definitely something that is obvious, is big, and is kind of a a major shift, I guess, from from the perspective of consumers. Because as I said, from from organizations, we've always knew that that was important, but it feels like consumers now are putting their hand up and saying, absolutely, trust is one of the most important things, second most important thing, I guess. Uh we saw this played out um, in front of our eyes working in the e-commerce industry um, in the earlier stages of the pandemic when when everything was very uncertain. Um, price sensitivity dropped like a stone. You know, it was much more about um, when can you get it to me? Can you get it to me safely? Um, you know, can I, can I trust that you'll do it when you say you're going to do it? And, and how much is it? You know, it was kind of the questions in in that order, really. You know, um, whereas in in the sort of day to day, you know, most people ask, "Well, can I afford it?" And then, "Do I trust who's supplying it?" And and what's the proposition behind it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, obviously, I think you know it's being proven as we move into a semi post pandemic state that that maybe some of these behaviours haven't haven't made the seismic shift um that, that that some people hope they would in terms of everybody's just going to shop online for everything all the time aren't they well no actually retail will will return and there'll always be cafes and people will want to go shopping and have a look around some shops that isn't going to all all go away as, as some people had kind of proclaimed um but but certainly a lot of people were introduced i think to brands during that time of of pressure and stress on the system that that had some opportunities to prove that they could be trusted where maybe they wouldn't have had the opportunity in a very price sensitive market. So some some maybe more premium services that could deliver on promises and could deliver consistently have probably been some pretty big winners from the pandemic, actually. Um, I, I don't know, Fabi, if any brands that you know leap to mind there that, that are probably maybe wouldn't have had the opportunity in a highly price sensitive world, but the pandemic sort of pushed consumers towards brands that they could trust more yeah absolutely i think you know the 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 when we trust brands um and we have that trustworthy relationship it it kind of accelerated three three things on the consumer and brand relationship number one is loyalty isn't it you keep coming back to that product again and again number two is engagement and ultimately advocacy so that's really the result of that really trust relationship and that's when it gets really mm. interesting for businesses who don't want to compete just on price because 
75% of people with high brand trust, let's say, they um, they will buy the brand, their product, even if it isn't the cheapest. And that's when it becomes to get really interesting, isn't it? Um, you know, you have businesses then being able to, you know, charge a little bit more for their products because they know that loyal consumers will keep coming back to. And even better than that, they ended up spending less pounds on advertising because their consumers are the ones that are ultimately, you know, promoting their services, their products to the biggest and best advertising channel of all time, which is word to mouth. And but unfortunately, mm. on the flip side of that, so now we're dying to, to talk about the, 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 the ones that haven't gone so well, is when that trust is then lost, um, you know, we see so many of these examples keep coming in. I mean, BP is one that comes to mind straight away, you know, establishing themselves as this, you know, um, forward thinking company that is going to protect the environment and betraying us really with the kind of the negligent operations in the Gulf back in 2010. Do you remember that in the, in the Gulf of Mexico, the big mm. disaster? Mm. That for me yeah. is when things really took a downturn and there were so many, so many examples. I mean, do you remember the Volkswagen? Um, well, I mean, that was, that was a huge scandal, wasn't it? And, and uh, you know, probably one of the world's most trusted uh, brands really VW Group you know famous for quality German engineering you know legacy like no other you know owns some incredible brands in the stable and and literally you know fid- fiddling the numbers um cheating, cheating. um in, in the cheating. light of day it wasn't yeah. even negligence it's ch- playing on cheating I mean they've kind of made us fall in love with as you said the stylish pragmatism of German engineering and uh, it, even their creativity of the, do you remember the Think Small advertising campaigns from back in the 60s? You know, that is who we fell in love with. And then, as you said, cheating the emission um, shenanigans that they, they had. And obviously, more recently, Uber, you know, again, revolutionizing the way that we get around and then disappointing us mm. when we learn, um, you know, the hostile way in which they have treated women, um, their shady competitive practices, and etc. So it keeps, it, it, there is a lot of different um, uh, examples out there, but obviously the more recent one and the one that everyone's talking about, Facebook. So, yeah, Fabi, I mean, the, the Facebook thing. Uh, I mean, goodness, how long have we got? So this this has been going on for years. You know, we touched on the Cambridge Analytica piece before, how the platform was, ex- platform was exploited to ultimately rig global elections. You know, most people now realize that there is a toxic side to to Facebook that, that uh, doesn't sit well with a lot of people. Um, the platform still continues to to grow um maybe not from a revenue uh, from a from an active daily user's point of view but certainly from a revenue perspective the business you know year on year has grown a huge amount financially it's making everybody very wealthy um but it just feels again and again and again as they get beaten up in in front of the public about uh, major trust and transparency issues that um it feels like the beginning of the end for them, doesn't it? You know, there's there's going to be some ramifications sooner or later for one of these humongous breaches of trust that keep on happening to this organisation, right? It has to happen, right? Because I don't think what Facebook will do is is fix itself. You know, the whole... If, if Facebook's not going to change unless it's forced to change. You know, the whole self-regulation thing is 
a bit of a joke and it just isn't working um and and to be honest i'm i'm almost like i'm surprised of the the size of the problem and how often these things keep happening but um i'm not surprised that they are happening you know if you if anyone has ever watched a social network you know exactly how facebook has started mm. you know zuckerberg hacking into the harvard's um catalog of students uh invading their privacy from the very start so it, it it's a culture thing there and it, what strikes me and we talked mm. about that offline Liam, is it, it doesn't feel like they they think that they are doing something wrong or that this is just that problem to solve you know they keep talking about um throwing back on things like freedom of expression and we can't regulate this we can't do that but hold on a minute this is happening inside your platform um yeah and, and look th there's some really damning damning stuff here um you know we talk about the characteristics of building building trust with with consumers and why it's so powerful for brands if you want to see <laughs> the the reverse of that the exact antithesis of that happening in front of your eyes look at look at how facebook are behaving you know you've got the um incredibly articulate um you know and powerful uh display by um it's Francis Hogan, isn't it? The the whistleblower who's just uh, just leaked the latest batch of documents. I think you know eight thousand documents, a huge a huge amount of content. Hero. I can't remember yeah. the the big number, but um, almost proving that the uh, organisation has done a stack of research into the harm that the platform does in perpetuating. Um, uh, you know, um, all these kind of myths around eating disorders to young young girls, young women, um, really damaging the mental health of of our youth. I mean, that is about as as awful as you can get as an outcome um, from your product. And and then, you know, we talked about stepping up and owning some of this stuff. You know, when you've got these incredibly context complex organizations in, in global context sure stuff's going to happen but you own that stuff you step up and you say yeah do you know what we, we we've got a product yeah. problem here you know stuff's getting on our platform it's getting away from us it's getting in front of people and we are going to invest in in making our product and our platform a better and a safer place because we we saw this harm coming instead what we've got is we've got an organization that's been caught out by somebody who is so outraged internally who, by the way, was being made filthy rich by the organization, being paid a fortune, but is so offended by what they're seeing that they're prepared to put all that on hold, leak all of these documents, and did it in a really constructive way, stack of evidence, really well thought through. This was very much premeditated by her because she was so outraged. Drops it all in the public domain to, to great outrage by the public and quite rightly about how Facebook have kind of known about these issues internally and chosen, and let's not label it as anything else, but chosen to ignore them um, or, or overlook them because it's inconvenient. And, and they still continue to treat it like a PR issue rather than a product issue, exactly. right? You know, Nick Clegg, a man who sold his soul to the devil a long time ago for $50 million a year, right, has decided to come out and say, hey, look, we don't create eating disorders among teenage girls. Well, no, Nick, nobody's saying that you do. But what we are saying is that your platform promotes content that furthers these issues in teenagers' lives. And we want you to own your, your role in some of these awful outcomes yeah. That you're perpetuating so you know rant aside you know it's a great example of a business not taking ownership of its stuff 
it's a great example of a lack of transparency, a complete lack of transparency. Yeah. And it does, as you said off air, Fabi, it feels like the beginning of the end for these guys, how they recover from another one of these issues. It just feels like it's a one-way yeah, trip. I don't, I don't see how. I mean, I'm sure you remember the story um, of Molly Russell um, a few years back. I think it was in 2017. She was a 14-year-old girl who basically killed herself after viewing graphic kind of self-harm um, content on Instagram. And I saw an interview of her dad recently, um, and he was he was talking about the fact that back then, back in 2017, soon after the death of his beloved daughter, he was given assurance by Facebook that all self-harm content would be banned from the platform. And, mate, they're still there. Everything is still out there. Of course. So these guys need to do a lot better. I mean, they action 3 to 5% of violent content. That's how much these guys are tackling when they say that they're solving a problem. 3 to 5%, seriously. I mean, it's incredible. And it just, as you said, I I find it really hard to believe that they're going to recover from that. So... For me, you know, Facebook has had its time now. And as I said, I'm not on the platform. Uh, I've left it quite a while ago because I was just finding a really toxic environment beyond the whole trust issue anyway. But I can see a lot more people um, following suit after this. Yeah, if, you know, it's if nothing else, we, we need to look at this and, and learn from, you know, as organizations wanting to have authentic relationships with our with our members, our customers, our consumers, you know, Facebook is the great example of how not to go about doing that, you know, <laughs> um, obfuscate, delay, confuse, uh, push blame onto others, uh, you know, have 5000 people working on your ad tech business and 200 working on your content moderation business, you know, um, yeah. Um, they are they are not getting the message and it comes from the top down you know this is this is systemic and cultural in that organization and they're not the they're not the only one right there's there's lots of um there's lots of organizations who who behave like this facebook are just front row center because of their size and their scale and their their presence in almost everybody's lives so they do they do get an awful lot of attention and rightly so but um there are there are others as well interestingly enough um Fabi, you know, when you look at the the types of institution, you mentioned the Edelman Trust Index before, when you look at the different types of institution and the way that they classify them, you've got kind of businesses, which is a, a pretty big term, right, at, at one end, and you've got kind of government um, organizations, uh, the other, really, businesses are still the most trusted entities in society, actually, far more so than governments. People place a lot more faith in Apple than they do in the UK government when you look at their comparative scores. Um, you know, you, 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 you can, um, you can understand that sometimes when you look at some of the, the, the decisions these organizations take. But, um, the tech sector of business in and of itself is the most trusted of the business sectors, which is still amazes me uh, to this day. But, you know, it's, it's global data it is totally statistically significant, although it has waned, um, you know, 7% year on year. Um, so clearly some of these kinds of res- relevation, uh, revelations, easy for me to say, are forcing that, that trend downwards, even if probably organizations like Apple and I think a, a resurgent Microsoft probably do have quite high trust scores as well, probably boost that sector yeah. up a little bit. Um, it's fascinating how, what, a, what a mix you've got in that space. Yeah, exactly. And it, it is an interesting one because if anything, with the, the rise of things like AI and um, 
you know, machine learning, etc. It, it's almost like that's the one sector that people might become a little bit skeptical <laughs> as we move forward. So I can see that that percentage kind of growing as we move through the years, which is unfortunate, obviously, but it, it it's just a reality of it, isn't it? When people don't understand um, the things that are put in front of them, the, the ultimately it leads to you know a lack of trust. Everybody becomes blind faith, then, doesn't it? You know, you've got to, You've got to give something blind faith when you don't when you don't understand it, um, and and it's sort of blind trust. What you're saying is exactly borne out in the in the data, Fabio, again from Edelman. You know, the the the, the global trust survey. You know, sixty one percent agree that the pace of change in technology is too fast um, for them to trust it. Sixty six percent of people worry that technology will make it impossible to know if what they're seeing or hearing mm. is even real. I mean, just stand back from that stat. And I know we, we've obviously seen a lot of information about deep fake technology and, and things like that. That's quite well, well, well mm. documented and, and well known now. There's even been a really good BBC drama about kind of deep faking with CCTV and stuff. Most people are familiar that these technologies are out there. And I think for the layperson, you know, do we believe what is literally in front of our eyes anymore if, in, in, the, in the digital world? I, I can absolutely understand people's anxiety over what do I trust? What sources can I, can I trust? And, and probably it does come down to some of the great institutions in, in, in media and, and government to be the arbiters of, of that truth. But so difficult for people to figure out what they can and yeah, can't trust. you're right. And even for, for for anyone, I mean, I consume, I'll give an example, consume news a lot. You know me, I'm reading three from the center every single day, 24-7. But um, today, obviously, we were, you know, looking for fresh news. We're going to be talking about it in a second anyway. And I saw on Google News um, a an article about Messi uh, leaving PSG and coming to Newcastle. Did you see that? And I, I <laughs> no, opened it. But I'm obviously, sure it was complete I'm rubbish. Yeah. Open it. I'm on a rush. I read the whole article, and luckily, which I never ever do, I kind of read the small print at the very end because I was like, surely I would have heard about this. Um, and then he's saying, "Oh, this is you know for entertainment purposes, blah blah blah." But that was appearing on the Google uh, news feed, and I was like. I'm so confused. I sent some feedback to Google mm. immediately because I was like, you can't have this kind of content appearing. You know, it's kind of a joke. But for someone who's in a rush, mm. reading things quickly, I almost shared that with you, buddy. I was going to I was gonna say, did you see this? Oh, my God, this You're is messy obsessed. I hate the guy. That's why. Unbelievable. Um, messy gets a name check in every one of our podcasts. I know. Somehow, yeah. I'm sure he's listening in. And um, hi, Messi. Uh, hey, how <laughs> But do you see what I mean? It's, it's kind of surely that's that there needs to be some sort of filtering through. And I, I just don't know how that is happening out there in the world. And you're right. You just can't. You need to be very mindful of what you share, what you read, but most definitely what you share, because it, it you don't know what's real and what's not anymore. Yeah, we, we have to. You know, we we do trust some of these brands and institutions, don't we? We do trust some of the great journalists, you know, who 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 write. I, I shared you some stuff with the wonderful Carol Caldweller and and people like that earlier. You know, you kind of have to go to your sources, don't you? And 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 
find some sources you really do trust um, uh, and, and kind of stick to them, really. Um, you know, you wouldn't expect to see The Onion popping up in your Google News feed, would you? You'd be like, it's all, all satire or whatever. But if they started appearing, you'd be like, hey, Google, do, do they really qualify as a news organization? <laughs> you know? um, so, so, yeah, I, finding things you can trust and can rely on increasingly difficult because of the lack of transparency. Um, uh, you know, some of these things are so hard to traverse and understand. So on that happy note, Fabi, that there's nowhere we can trust and nowhere to turn anymore for any real information, um, ironically, we'd better have a quick word from the sponsors, haven't we? And then we'll come back and talk about some, um, some news and some resources, yeah? Sounds good. Let's do it. Today's episode is brought to you by Ben Creative. Creating deep connections with customers is more important than ever, especially when you have a female audience who greatly value authenticity. That's where we come in. Here at bemcreative.com, we've connected talented female creatives with brands who want to have positive and meaningful relationships with their customers. Join us today, and together, let's build a more balanced world. Today's episode is brought to you by RocketSpark. Creating a beautiful site is fast and easy with the RocketSpark website builder. And with their world-class customer support, there's always someone on hand to help you make every website a success story. Start a free trial today at rocketspark.com. So some newsy, current affairs-y stuff, Fabi. What's stumbled onto your, your feeds this week? Yeah, one thing that really caught my attention, Leon, was uh, Mercedes, you know. They are bringing out a concept car or they're working on a concept car that incorporates brain-computer interfaces into it. So if you imagine, you know, if you could just think about where you want to go rather than having to, you know, input it in your sat-nav or if you're driving and you think about a song that you want to listen to imagine if your car could read your mind you know and that's precisely what mercedes is working on um they they um you know uh, uh are working on this concept car and as i said incorporates this new technology and i find it fascinating because it just takes you know car control and setting up inside your vehicle to a whole new level uh which i find it fascinating so have a look at the story. Uh, it's uh, if you just type into Google, you know, Mercedes Benz Vision AVTR mm. concept car, uh, you'll find everything you need to know. I'm most definitely looking forward to uh, going into my nearest Mercedes Benz and having a try, <laughs> going for a test drive, going for a brain drive. That would be fantastic, no? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I have seen it, and it there's an awful lot of stuff in in this vehicle, right? So that was the kind of headline, wasn't it? That it was, you know, brainwave controlled and had all this stuff. It's it's got some other very uh, kind of cool technology in there, though. I think that stole the headlines, didn't it? But they've they've tried to kind of push together lots of different technologies um, to to make you know a kind of concept car of the future. Really, it's got a 
compostable graphene-based battery that has a range of about 450-odd miles, uh, which, again, is a really important technology because we talked about it on our, on our first show, didn't we? You know, the hidden cost of going electric. There's some really nasty chemicals used in some of these batteries that don't recycle particularly nice and don't play nicely with the environment. So it's like Mercedes is trying to throw the sustainable kitchen sink at the concept car and, and come up with some stuff. I think this idea of concepting is so important, though, isn't it? Because it just sort of pushes boundaries. And you probably won't end up at that place, but it sort of helps designers and engineers really push way out into the future. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, the the look and feel of the car is incredible. It's very spacey, really feels like... It looks bonkers. Yeah, it looks bonkers, basically. Uh, but no, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, Mercedes-Benz, up until a few years back, it, it, it was not really seen as a very kind of forward-thinking brand. And I... I think that's something that really they're trying really hard to, you know, try and change in the minds of consumers and the minds of the press and the minds of the, the, the kind of the industry. Uh, and and perhaps that's where they're going. As I said, they might not end up there precisely, but just that they are testing something that could be something, it, it's already really interesting and uh, not something to that you would expect from, from Mercedes. You know, they are seen as more traditional and um etc so it's good to see that they are getting themselves out there and you know into the tech world do you know why it's called the avtr no i don't actually inspired by james cameron's avatar film <laughs> is that true i'm not i'm not i'm not just true yeah. oh my god that, that sounds amazing yeah, that sounds fantastic. well. The Daily Mail just told me that. To be fair, oh, okay. as we were going through, okay. so I can't take that. No, it, it's it's um yeah yeah How inspired funny. by James Cameron. They use they use a lot of those colors and yeah. a lot of those kind of shapes and styles and curves oh, in, in cool. the design. Once once you kind of hear that, you can you can see it in the design. It's sort of semi translucent yeah. uh, design. Uh, the, the 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 guys that um and most people who've worked with me on design stuff would have heard me spout this off but the guys that did a brilliant job of this was was bmw back in the day uh with with the concepting piece if anybody remembers back in 2008 when they demoed what became the i8 uh which was their first kind of electric sports car everyone thought it was absolutely bonkers and wow we'll never see that on the road and they did the kind of i3 and the i8 at the same time but it ended up pushing their engineering and design practices way out and actually they were they were in the market miles before anybody else they were on their second third gen i mean them and tesla really bizarrely mm-hmm. were the first people to have really compelling on the road uh, electric, electric fully electric vehicles way before audi and mercedes yeah. got anywhere near it you know 10 year head start um so, so the power of great concepting um it, it is something to to um uh, to really be proud of so great to see mercedes try and push that envelope a long long way ahead i think if we get something like this i'll be surprised but certainly some of the tech in it is awesome yeah it's all what about you what do you have for us this week i'm gonna cheat fabi actually and i'm gonna kill two birds with one stone okay go on so yeah two birds one stone really fabi a, a, a new resource that popped up this week but it's certainly something that's that's kind of noteworthy was some of the work done by by climate central um we're finding an awful lot more of this information getting pushed out as we approach um the 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 big climate summit in um in glasgow so there's quite a big pr drive by a lot of the um uh, you know different different climate organizations to get stuff out there um which is which is really important that they do um this not talking specifically about um yeah you know carbon and pollution stuff but more the impact of it and and um 
as the world uh, slowly warms, we're going to see sea level rises um, as as the whole kind of global climate changes, water gets released in from melting ice caps, et cetera, et cetera. But the extent to which um, the the planet will be affected by these sea level rises is pretty pretty tremendous. The data is now now showing us. We and it and this isn't the sort of apocalyptic hundred and fifty year scenario if we do nothing. It's this is a three degree um in, increase which at the current rate we're predicting uh might happen in about 70 years 75 years that kind of that kind of time window um would see us um hit a, a three degree um raise above post-industrial levels but 10 percent of the world's population lives on land that's basically going to be underwater um with with three degrees celsius of of warming and what the um climate central um, project have have done is they've tried to just bring that to life for people because I think things like this are inherently abstract, aren't they? You know, global warming, sea level rises. Well, we all see the tide coming, but do we really picture the local seafront underwater and how far into land will that water go? And you know, when we look at it on a big global map as well, it doesn't feel real. So what they've done is they've taken the initiative and and gone round the world into some of these coastal areas um, with with some of the great um uh you know great landmarks of the world uh that will literally be underwater if, if this happens uh, and they brought it to life you know i guess through photoshop and a load of cool visual tools you can go onto their website uh, picturing.climatecentral.org and just have a look at uh, some different places around the world um you know skyscrapers in shanghai you know how much they'll be submerged underwater with a three degree rise um plaza de la catedral did i pronounce that right yeah, you sure did was that, was that okay was that all right? Yeah. Good. Um, in in uh, Havana, Cuba, completely underwater, wow. like right to the top of it. There will be none of it above above That's sea incredible. level um, if if these rises happen. And it it did really shock me when I was going through it. I saw it linked on on the Verge, who did a really good write up about this. And I spent you know twenty thirty minutes clicking through it. St Paul's Cathedral pre post. Yeah. Really? Um, no, it's all going to be completely submerged. Wow, yeah, incredible. Um, I think the one that Rio, Rio. Yeah, I was going to say, did you look at Brazil? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I mean, it's not quite up to the the big Jesus statue on the mountain, no, which probably yeah, has. I haven't really named that right, have I? Is that what is that what the locals call it? <laughs> no, it's not. Cristo Redentor. There you go. Um, well, he will remain dry uh, on the mountain, and actually, an awful lot of people in Rio, uh, you know, will will, will not. <laughs> Um, and and actually, it does really bring to life the challenge we've got in front mm. of us. This is not two hundred years away. It's this so, is seventy years yeah. away, and we've got to work very very hard to make this not a reality. Because by doing nothing, it's almost showing you very vividly these are these are the consequences of inaction. Um, yeah, we we will be in trouble. So yeah, a bit of a resource to go check out, but also I guess some some sort of new information Sounds at, good. The, at the same time. Sounds good. So uh, I'll go next then. So my recommendation, my resource this week, it's um, a little bit different. People will be dry, uh, <laughs> but it's for, <laughs> it's for the folks out there who are interested in learning about AI. We talked about AI a little bit today on the show and previously, but it's called elementsofai.com. Um, have a look at that, elementsofai.com. It's a series of uh, free online courses actually created by the University of Helsinki in Finland. I hope I pronounced that correctly. But basically what they wanted to do is to encourage as many people as possible to learn about AI, you know, understand what it can do, and ultimately 
um, start using it and applying it in everyday life. So it's a really good initiative. The courses kind of combine theory and practical exercises. They can be completely completed online at your own pace. There is no sign-up fee or, you know, it's completely free. So go and check it out. It's called elementsofai.com. So, Fabi, that's the show. Um, a slightly more poignant one than normal today. We've gone, we've gone deeper than normal, haven't we? Yeah, we have gone deeper, uh, which is good, really. We've been talking about, you know, tech and green tech, and 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 that's all kind of, you know, where where we feel safe and we love talking about tech. We're both geeks, ha ha ha. But uh, it's also really <laughs> important for us to touch on kind of deeper subjects, and I think trust is most definitely something that is on every day in people's minds right now and it's on my mind right now and it just felt right for us to to get in there mm, yeah no so thank you for uh thank you everyone for indulging us as we we kind of explored the topic of trust and you know how it affects us and and and, and our relationships with brands i think you know we'll definitely spend another episode talking about the impact of social media on mental health i think that's both something that's really important to, to both of us as well and 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 that is a conversation that is only going to get louder um and louder and i think you know the topic of of trust in building really effective teams is something you know fabi and i have both worked um with lots of different creative teams and, and technology teams um in our careers and building trust has been an essential kind of cornerstone in building some of those high productive teams so i think there's probably some mileage in us about uh, in talking about that um, on, on a subsequent episode too, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there is there is much more to talk about, so we'll we'll get back and circle back around Facebook, and obviously, uh, hopefully, the the conversation around trust today has helped a few people out there to unpack how they define trust and what this trust means for them. Mm. Yeah. Well, any final thoughts, Fabi? I guess I'll just leave with what kind of trust means for me. Um, and I found this really good uh, quote. There's a, a folk called Charles, Ch- Charles Felton, actually. He wrote a really good book. Um, it's called The Finn Book of Trust. And the way that he defines trust really rings with me. So I'll, I'll, I'll bring that to you. So he says that trust is choosing to make something important to you, vulnerable to the actions of someone else. So for me, that really defines trust really, really nicely. And as we said, you know, there's very few people out there that I can fully trust. I don't know if it's a positive or a negative. I know it has saved me from a lot of heartache along the years. But hmm. it's it's something that, you know, we all kind of need to, to continue to try and build on. Because obviously, as you said, it's very, very important, particularly in professional scenarios, to work in an environment where you can trust the people that we work with. Uh, and and obviously in your personal life even more important to have those that you can you know that you can always rely on you are one of them buddy i can trust you i know that oh aren't you sweet well that is that is a very um eloquently put and and poignant point to 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 leave the show on then fabi so thank you for your time i'll see you in a couple of weeks right thank you thank you everyone for listening in and thank you for being such a trustworthy co-host leon as always (laughs) <laughs> my pleasure it's because i'm so transparent there you go, there you go. Nice <laughs> thanks everybody see you soon thank you <laughs>